Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is Pastor Joe Caminetti. Today, greatest stories never told. We're going to take a look at four really well-known, very powerful Bible characters, and we're going to take a look at some events in their life that aren't the events we often talk about. We talk about the bigger events, but these events are powerful, and they teach us some incredible, incredible principles. Now, let me tell you a little story. Uh, in my family, um, they like to play Scrabble, and my wife is a Scrabble ninja, and uh, so are a couple of my kids, and I'm a Scrabble elementary student, and, and uh, I'm really bad at Scrabble and word games of any sort, and uh, so years ago, uh, with the smartphones, they came out with words with friends, which, which was a form of Scrabble you play. And you could play it with anybody on the planet. doesn't matter where they're at. You just play. You take a turn, then they take a turn, and you're playing Scrabble on your phone. And so I, I got in with my wife and, and my, my kids, and I began to play Scrabble with them. And, uh, uh, and I, I decided I wanted to beat them because I never win. So I went online and I found this beautiful website where um, you can put the board in you're playing on, you can put the words that are on the board and then the words that you have on your, your thing, and it gives you every choice of a word that you can use. And I'd come up with 20 different words that I could create. I was getting 62-point words and 38-point words. And, and my wife and daughter are like shocked. And by the way, it's not cheating if you plan on telling them eventually. And, and so... <laughs> So it's not really cheating if you're going to tell them. And, and so I'm doing all that, and they're like, what happened? I said, I prayed, and God just opened my mind up. And I have this incredible mind now. I said, you're history. Now I'm a ninja, but I'm, I'm a greater ninja than you. And, and uh, eventually I told them, and they had suspicions. And when I told them, they, they didn't doubt. And, and uh, they, they said, yeah, we figured it was something. And, and uh, you, might, you might say, why are you sharing this story? Well, because today... We're going to talk about a story, an event in the life of Moses that had to do with words, a stick, and a rock. It's a powerful story. And, you know, words and how you do in Scrabble isn't going to change your life. But the words that come out of your mouth, they will change your life. And they're so powerful. And we're going to learn this in a story that had to do with Moses. And if you think of Moses, I mean, think about the great stories, the burning bush. God appears to him in a burning bush and the bush, bush isn't consumed. It keeps burning, but nothing happens to the bush. And he has this barefoot experience with God. And then he brings the 10 plagues into Egypt, and he delivers the children of Israel. Remember, with his rod, he hit, he hit uh, the, the Red Sea, and it split, and they all walked over on dry land. Then it came down upon the Egyptian soldiers, and they were all drowned. And how about 40 days and 40 nights it, up in Mount Sinai. And God, with his finger, wrote the Ten Commandments. That's, that's pretty cool. And then he gave Moses these plans for a tabernacle or house for God to dwell in on the earth. And Moses came back and built that house. And for the first time in history, God lived amongst people in this tabernacle called Moses. And what's cool is God says, you're now the, the tabernacle, and he's living in us. And that's pretty powerful. Those are all great stories. But we're going to look at a story that has to do with words, a stick, and a rock. 
And I'm going to open up a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So all of us go into the story knowing what the rock represented. I remember when I started Believers back in 1983, we began with just having Wednesday night services. And I decided to teach through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it took me one year to go through the whole book. And I remember when I came to chapter 10 and I saw what I'm going to begin to teach you today. Uh, it, it just blessed my life when I just studied it and I, it all came alive. And one of the things that God says in this 10th chapter is God says to us, you know those stories you read about in the Bible? The reason I made sure they were written down is so that you can learn from them. They're examples. He said they're types and shadows. And he says there's spiritual things we can learn for our life today from those events that happened then. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it lets us know what the rock represents. So let's, let's read. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea when they went over on dry land. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. We're going to see this rock show up two times. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness, and this rock showed up twice. And this rock represents Jesus. And this rock impacted them first with a stick and then with words. And there's something God wants us to learn about words as we open this story up. So they're just delivered out of Egypt. This is the beginning of their 40 years in the wilderness, wandering because of disobedience. And notice what happens in Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Now, when we come to the end of this story in chapter 17, I'll talk to you about what it means to put the Lord to, a, to the test uh, because I found that I do it quite often. And I catch myself and I shift gears and you may be just the same as I am, but it's easy to put the Lord to the test. And, and that's what they did in this event. But there's something really powerful here. First of all, God is leading them. And God directed them to Rephidim. He could have sent them anywhere else, but he sent them to a place called Rephidim. And that's important. Now, this place had no water. So these guys are in trouble, man. There's no water. And, and they need something to drink. They're in a dry place, a dry land. And every one of us, as we walk on this earth, we come into times when we're walking in a dry place. And it can be spiritual it can be natural, but we all end up in desert or wilderness places in our life. When it's spiritual, you know, sometimes as Christians, we just feel like, God, I know you, but you seem so far away, and, and I just don't seem connected, and we get into those times in our life. Sometimes when it's spiritual, we just have no joy or peace, or we're struggling with a sin or an addiction, and it's like, Lord, I keep trying to get out of this, but I keep falling into the same thing. But then sometimes it's natural. We have a relationship mess, you know, maybe, maybe with our kids, maybe with our mate, maybe with a friend, a relative, but it's a mess, and we're right in the middle of it. 
and we're in a wilderness in that relationship. Or maybe it's physical, our bodies are dealing with something, and maybe the doctor gave us a really bad report, you know, and, and uh, it's like here we are in a wilderness, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any water. There, I, I don't have an answer for this problem or this situation. And sometimes it's financial. Maybe the business isn't going the way you want it to go, or maybe the job isn't going the way you need it to go, or maybe you need a job, or maybe the finances are a mess. We get into wildernesses. But here's what's fascinating. They're in a wilderness. God led them there. But this word rephidim, listen to what the Hebrew word means. It's a fascinating word. It, it means to rest or resting place. And the root word means to refresh, comfort, or make a bed. This was, in God's eyes, a place of refreshing, a place of comfort, a place where all their needs were to be met. And God had a rock there with the answer, but you know what? They didn't see the rock. They saw the wilderness. And it's amazing that you're going to find out God oftentimes says to us, I've supplied what you need, but we don't see it with these eyes, and it's really tough to see it, and we're in this wilderness. And at that time, we have a choice. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, can we see what God has provided? And it reminds me of a story. This is a true story with Walt Disney. In 1959, uh, Disneyland in California was up and running, and it was going great. And uh, Walt Disney wanted to get another amusement park on the other side of the country. So he's looking up and down the East Coast trying to figure out, where am I going to put the second amusement park? And he goes to look at some land in Florida. Think, think of this, 66 square miles of swampland. And he's flying over this swampland. Nobody wanted it. Nobody thought it was of any use. And he's flying over this swampland, and everybody sees a swamp. And Walt Disney, you know what he saw? 1959, he saw Disney World. He said, I'm going to buy that. And people were like, you crazy? It's a swamp. But how many of us have ever been to Kissimmee, Florida, to Disney World? It, can we all say it's real? It's there. And he saw this incredible amusement park when everybody else saw a swamp. And the children of Israel saw a wilderness when God saw a place of refreshing and God saw a place of comfort. And we're going to learn an incredible truth as we read on in this scripture. So notice what happened in Exodus 17, 3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Moses is right there with them. He's learning. He doesn't know. He's like, God, what do I do? And they're like, Moses, you got us into a mess. I know we were slaves in Egypt, but it was better than this. We don't have any water. We're going to die. And they're just absolutely complaining. So listen to what God does. Verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the children of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock out of it, and out of, out of it, and uh, excuse me, by the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Really incredible, incredible image here. And, uh, you know, historians tell us there were 2.5 million Israelites and they needed 100 million gallons of water, 100 million gallons of water a day in order to survive them and their livestock. So we're not talking about a little water fountain, you know, coming out of a rock and they go down and get a little drink out of a water fountain type thing. We're talking about water gushing out like crazy. 
And the picture here is so incredible because what God's saying is, I'm the God that meets your needs, man. I'm the God that will get you what you need when you need it. And what's fascinating is the rock is who? Christ. And the rod, he said, this is the rod you struck the Nile with. This is the stick you struck the Nile with. And when he hit the Nile, what happened? Water turned into blood. And now he says, I want you to strike the rock. So this is a picture of Jesus being struck. It's a picture of his crucifixion. And what God's trying to show us here is in order for our spiritual and natural needs to be met, in order for God to give us and help us what we need on this earth, Jesus had to be struck first. And that's why he died and was buried and raised from the dead. And last weekend at Easter, we celebrated his resurrection. It had to happen. But, you know, I love what the book of Hebrews says. It says that he was sacrificed once and for all, and there's no need for any other sacrifice. And what that means is that once the rock was struck, it doesn't have to be struck anymore. And that's why the next time when they ran into the rock, God didn't say strike it with the stick. God told Moses, and we'll see it. He said, speak to the rock. Talk to it. And we're going to learn this incredible principle today, but you know how I always want you to walk out and never forget something? Uh, today I want you to walk out and remember this. It, it's absolutely incredible. And it just goes like this. Don't complain, proclaim. And there's a difference. And complaining, when you and I complain, we're saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough and God has to go back and do it again and it just wasn't enough. God needs to do more. And what God's saying to you is, I did all I can. You can't crucify Jesus anymore. Jesus can't pay for things anymore. There's nothing more to be paid for. It's all been paid for. And so he's saying, don't strike the rock. He's saying, speak to the rock. And, and notice as this finishes up what happens. We'll, we'll read uh, the next verse, verse 7. He, and he called the place Maza, which means proof, and Meribah, which means contention, because of the fault-finding of the Israelites and because they tempted and tried the patience of the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us? So if you've ever wondered what does it mean to tempt God, it just means we doubt whether or not he's there. And I've done it in my life. I've grumbled and I've complained. I've tested the Lord. I'm sure most of us in this room, well, really all of us in this room at one time or another, we've tested the Lord. We prayed and said, God, why didn't you show up? And, and we said, God, why did you let this happen to me? And it's so easy for us to test the Lord and to grumble. And here's what God wants. He wants you to see Disney World. He wants you to see Rephidim. He wants you to see that there's water in the rock. And, and, and in order to get it out, we're going to find out we need to proclaim, not complain. And that's tough. Uh, you guys have heard me say it, but by nature, I'm a negative person. So I, if I go into automatic, I'm negative and I'll complain and I'll just I'll just be negative. And so, uh, thankfully, as we grow spiritually, we catch ourselves. And I go, nope, nope, I, I can't go into my normal gear. I need to not complain. I need to proclaim. And I think most of us as human beings, we can go that direction and, and just begin to say what we see. Lord, I'm in a wilderness. Lord, there's no water. And God says, hey, that's true. Don't deny reality. But let's look a little further and let's see Rephidim. Let's see the comfort. Let's see the refreshing. Let's see Disney World instead of the swamp. And I love this quote, better to light a candle than curse the darkness. How many of us can agree that if I turn all the lights off in this room and we all began to curse the darkness, that it would stay dark? Wouldn't it stay dark? If I gave you all a shovel and said, shovel the darkness out, can you agree we'd shovel for eternity and it'd still be dark? But if we lit a candle 
Or if the lights are out and I turn this on, this would be so much brighter in the dark. Why? Because darkness is the absence of light. The only way to get rid of darkness is bring light in the room. And I love this quote because it does no good to grumble and complain and say, God, where are you? What does good is for us to, to figure out what God has said and what he has done, what he has promised. When the rock was struck, what did God promise to us? And not complain, but begin to proclaim those awesome promises. So we're going to go on, and this is important to note. 39 years passed. That's a long time. 39 years is a long time. And 39 years passed, and the children of Israel get into a dry place again with no water. And, and I really believe God's testing them to see if they're ready to go into the promised land. And so take a look at what happens. Numbers 20, verse 1. 39 years after the first event. It says, in the first mo month of the whole... Uh, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community. So here they are again. They're in a dry place. And God's leading them, and do you think he led them somewhere that had, had the answer? Uh, you know what Kadesh means? The Hebrew word, you, that's how you say it in Hebrew, Kadesh. Um, that word means sanctuary. And so here God brings them to a sanctuary, which is a place of comfort, the place of our needs being met. It's a place where God's at. I mean, he brought them to a place where God was there to supply. And my question to you is, and if you have your Bibles, you can cheat. And, you know, I did dot, dot, dot on verse 2, but you could have already read verse 2. And the question is, which way did they go? Did they complain or did they proclaim? What did they do? So notice verse 2. It says this. Now, there was no water for the community, and, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt in this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates or pasta, and there's no water to drink. Why did you bring us here, God? I don't know about you, but I've done that many times. Can we all agree they failed the test? I don't know about you, but it makes me feel better about life because it's like, well, they messed up too, God. You know, it's like, at least we're in good company. You, you know what it says about God? God is merciful, isn't he? He's patient. I love the fact that he's patient. God gives us time to grow. And I want to say something to you about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with how long we've walked with the Lord or how long we've been a Christian. It has everything to do with whether or not we get it. Did you get it? Did you figure it out? And we can stay in the same wilderness and run into the same problems over and over again for 30 years until we get it. Uh, how many of you watched the movie? You, you, most of you probably saw the movie Groundhog Day. It's really old uh, with, with Bill Murray. It's an incredible movie where he relives the same day over and over and over again. And movie experts tell us that he relived that day 38 times. Can you imagine it? It took him to relive a day 38 times to get it and to make changes in his life. It's, it's a great movie about spiritual parallels. And, uh, and so we want to ask ourselves, man, how many times are we going to live the same problem over and over again until we get it and we react differently in the situation? Until we see Kadesh or Rephidim we see Disney World 
instead of swamps. And if you're like me, it, it takes me a while. But I was so excited preparing this because just to be able to spend some time in it and remind myself is so healthy for me. So take a look at the instructions. Numbers 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They were worried for God being upset with the people for grumbling after 39 years of growth. And verse 7 says, The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now, did you notice Moses took the same staff? He took it. It was in the holy place of the temple. That's where God wanted it to be. So he took it out. He has the staff. But did you notice he didn't strike the rock? You know what that says to you and I? Uh, you know how the first weekend of every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion here at Believers? Jesus gave us that, what? To remember that he died that he was struck. And it's good for us to remember, we don't forget what Jesus did at Calvary. We don't forget the cross. The cross is really important. But did you notice how it was there, but it's not what struck the rock? What struck the rock? What brought water out of the rock? God said, speak to it. And now that Jesus has paid the price, there's nothing more he can do for us. I mean, he gave his life and the sacrifice has been made. And I love the song we sang today about his grace. God's grace is in the rock. God's help is in the rock. God's ability is in the rock. And when we strike, it's like us saying, God, you didn't do enough. You've got to die again. There's something more you have to do. And what God's saying is elevate your eyes, man, and see that the rock is full of water. It's been struck. And now you need to proclaim. Don't complain. You need to speak to the rock. So Moses has these instructions and take a look at what happens with Moses. Verse 9, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence and, and just as the Lord had commanded him, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, now, now, now let's see what he did. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. God's merciful, we still let water come out, but Moses blew it big time. Did God tell him to stock, talk to people or to rock? <laughs> Did he tell him to tell the people off? Moses now, he made a mistake, and that makes me feel even better because he's one of the top leaders in the Bible, and Moses messed, messed up. So if Moses messed up, how many of us can say, hey, if we mess up, we can get back up and go on with life? Isn't that right? Quit, quit thinking because you messed up, you're out of it. Now, you, now, Moses did have one problem, and that is he didn't inherit a promise. And when we don't learn to speak instead of uh, striking, we won't get some of the promises that God made for us. Look at the next verse, verse 12. It says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give you. So he said, Moses, I wanted you to speak, and you struck and I wanted this image for all of eternity. I wanted to show Jesus was struck once, and then we speak. We don't complain, we proclaim, and I'll tell you how to do that as we wind this message up today. But Moses wasn't able to go into the land. Can you imagine? He could have said to God, I spent 39 years with these people complaining. I've been a faithful servant. You owe me. I need to go in that land. But if God let him go into the land, 
he would not have been able to make the image that you and I are seeing today. No matter who we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, we have to understand. We can't complain, we have to proclaim, and you have to begin to declare and to speak what God has promised in order to inherit promises, or let's say it this way, in order to have the rock open up and life come into your life. And so ask yourself the question, do I complain or do I proclaim? And understand, I want to say it one more time, this is important. I'm not telling you to deny your reality. Deal with your reality. Do what you have to do. Do what the doctors say. Do your budget. Look for jobs. Put your resumes out there. Do all of those things. But after you do everything you can do, don't complain. Begin to proclaim what God has promised and let that water begin to come out of the rock. Water is waiting in the rock and it's been struck now we speak. So I want to do my best to help you out here, and I just want to show you the water that's in the rock, okay? Uh, I want to just show you your needs are met through the death of Jesus. He was struck, your needs are met. So I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 19. It says, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Uh, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. And if I stop there, I haven't made my point. It's not proving anything. But listen to the next verse, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Powerful, life-changing scripture. That's saying there's, there's water in the rock and we need to speak. Do you know the word amen, amen means so be it? And so it just means you find out what the promise is and you say, yeah, I agree with that, so be it. You don't complain, but you just begin to declare. And I'll show you how to declare, it's real simple, the, the promises of God. But before I say that, did you notice it says all the promises in the Bible are yes in Christ? Now I realize some promises are specific, like, you know, I'm going to give Israel the land and, and that was specific. It's talking about all the general promises in the Bible. So when there's a general promise in the Bible, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, that promise belongs to you. The Bible says it's a big yes. So I, I got to thinking about one, Psalm 103. I love Psalm 103, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's so powerful. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it goes on to say, who forgives all of our sins, who heals all of our diseases. And I love the next part, who who redeems our life from destruction. That's a promise. God's promise, and I'm going to help you in all those areas of your life. And if you've ever messed your life up, or if your life's messed up now, God's saying, I'm the God that wants to redeem your life. That's a promise. And you and I can hang on promises like that. And somebody in here might say, but that was written at another time, and that's for the children of Israel. No, all the promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And that's a promise you can hold on to. Plus, that promise can be proved in the New Testament too. But it's the promises of God. That's the water in the rock. So how do we proclaim? And you know how I do it, guys. I came up with three simple ways to proclaim. So it's not going to be hard. This is really, really easy. And the first way is thanksgiving. You know, and the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we should thank God in all circumstances. Think about that. That's good and bad. No matter what our circumstance, all of us can begin to thank God. Well, we don't thank him for our problem. No, no, that would be really bad. 
we thank him for the answer. And we thank him that, hey, I'm in the wilderness, but there is a Rephidim. There is a Kadesh. There is an amusement park that can come out of this. And we just begin to find the promises and thank God for what he's promised us. So uh, what does that mean? Well, I, I like to say it this way. It means we do everything we can. And then in our private time, we raise our voices and we just begin to thank God that he's going to answer uh, and meet our needs. And we just begin to give thanks to God. It's that simple. And everybody in this room can do it. The doctor might tell you something and, and he might say, this is what you're dealing with. And, and that's reality. Do what you need to do. Take medicine if you need to take medicine. But when you get in your car and when you're home, begin to thank God that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed. Don't strike the rock and say, God, you, why didn't you come through? Why aren't you helping me? Don't strike the rock. No water comes out when you do that. But begin to speak. Don't complain. Proclaim. And what are you doing? You're not cursing the darkness. You're lighting a candle and you're allowing the life of God to come into the situation. Uh, the second way we can proclaim is real simple. Uh, we can pray. That's pretty easy. And I love what Philippians 4, 6 declares. Philippians 4, 6 says that in, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication coupled together with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. That's pretty cool. We pray. How many of you right now uh, there's a relationship in your life that you're worried about or you're having trouble with. How about our kids and our grandkids? How tough is it to watch our kids go through a tough time? Isn't that tough? We see our kids suffering and we want to get in there and fix it, but we can't fix most of what we see. But you know what we can do? Pray for God to intervene and pray for God to do something. And as we're looking and we see that terrible thing they're going through, uh, we can also say, hey, I'm going to pray. I'm going to get God involved. And then we can raise our voices and give thanks that God heard our prayer. And whatever you're going through, I just want to let you know that prayer works. I want to encourage you in the area of prayer because prayer is the vehicle that releases God to do incredible things in the earth. And here's number three. I just call it speaking. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 17 says we can take the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God, and we can begin to declare the promises. And 2 Corinthians 4, 13 says, I have believed, therefore I speak. And we're not denying reality. And I don't do this in front of people because they'll think you're weird. But what I do is when I'm private and I'm all alone, I begin to declare the promises of God. And I begin to declare what God has said and what God said he would do and how he would do it. And I just quote promises like Psalm 103. And I'll just begin to declare God's the God that heals all my diseases. He forgives my sins. He redeems my life from destruction. Thank you, God, for redeeming my life from destruction. I pray. I do whatever I need to do. And then I allow God to do the, the rest. But here's what I want you to walk away remembering. You guys ready? Simple as pie. The next time you're in a wilderness, see Rephidim, see Kadesh, see Disney World. Don't see the swamp. Don't see the wilderness. See what God has promised. See the rock with a gusher of promises and answers ready to come out and begin to declare, begin to proclaim through thanksgiving, prayer, and just speaking the truth of God. And you know what God will do? You'll, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed as water begins to come out of that rock. You don't have to strike it. Jesus paid an incredible price. You just have to proclaim. I hope I made some sense. Hey, can we do that for a minute? Can we uh, give God thanks with just a shout and some claps and just let God know we're excited about what you've done for us? We thank you for it, Lord God. We're so thankful, Father. Thank you for what you've done. Hey, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you for every dear person in this room, and I've done my best, Lord, to bring out a spiritual truth. We thank you for these stories that are so powerful. Thank you for Moses, Lord. Thank you for all we learned through words, a stick, and, and a rock. Lord, tomorrow we go into the real world, so as we walk in that real world, and even now we, when we leave here, Lord, it's real out there. The world's tough, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that the next time we complain, you'll bring this to our memory and you'll remind us we're cursing the darkness and uh, that we can light a candle. And Lord, that we can just begin to proclaim and trust you and put faith in you. And Lord, I thank you that you're the God that has water and it comes out of the rock, Jesus. Thank you for meeting the needs when we're in the wilderness, Lord God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Can we keep praying? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Just pray a little bit longer. And I want to give an invitation. If you're here and you're not sure of your forever, I just want to talk to you because, you know, Jesus was struck the first time he was crucified, and he did that also to save us from our sins. And that's powerful. You know, Jesus said this when he walked on the earth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God except by me. He said, whoever calls on my name, I'll save them. You know, the Bible says we can't work our way to heaven. And some people in this room are so good. You, you know, if goodness could get you in, you'd go. Um, but then some were like I used to be, and, and we were lost. We had no chance. But I'm glad it's not by works. I'm glad that the Bible says that we're saved by faith and putting faith in Christ Jesus. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to leave your church. I'm asking you a huge question. What have you done with Jesus? Can you remember a time in your life when you made it personal? When from your heart you said, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior, my, my, my salvation. If you can't, I want to give you a chance right now to do that. The Bible says if you call on his name, he'll save you. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them out? And say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe you came out of that grave. And I make a decision today to follow you, to read my Bible, to come to church, and to learn about you. And I thank you for changing my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believers Church, visit believers.cc.